0: In progress
1: this Ulster side Welcome to Insight Ulster, the rugby podcast from the Belfast, With me, Neve Campbell.
0: Me, Jonathan Bradley, and me, Adam McCandre. With expert analysis and special guests.
1: Let's kick off. Hello and welcome to another episode of Insight Ulster. My name is Neve Campbell, and as ever, I'm joined by our Belfast Telegraph rugby correspondent Jonathan Bradley. But unfortunately, our sports reporter Adam McKendry is feeling a wee bit under the weather this week. So we're sending all our well wishes to Adam. Hopefully he feels better and we'll see him again next week. But today we'll be discussing the fact that Ulster are two for two after a 42-20 victory over Cardiff, which has seen them at least cement their grasp on a top four spot in the URC table. Hopefully anyway. <laughs> we're also gearing up for Ireland's match against Scotland this Sunday as they continue their Grand Slam attempt in the Six Nations. And we'll be checking in to see the latest crack from the Ulster Schools Cup and some listener questions that you sent us in on Twitter. But first, Ulster. So, Johnny, we had talked last week about how you and Adam had thought that there would be big changes again in the squad this week, and it's obviously paid off as they beat Cardiff, and there were quite a lot of young guns um, performing as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think uh, the selection policy... Really paid off. Like I wrote about this in the paper on Monday that if you had a looked at the three team sheets from this three game block in isolation, it would have raised a few eyebrows. Uh, but to come away from this block with eleven points, I think is really positive. And to use what would have been thirty three different players across the two game, the two wins, there were eleven players that didn't play in South Africa that were in the twenty three against Cardiff at the weekend. So that's an impressive display of depth. It's impressive at this time of year. I know there aren't a whole host of players away with Ireland, certainly compared to some of the other teams that they played that have been more impacted by the Six Nations and the Springboks camp. But to go that far down into your squad and to come away with 11 points from the three-game block, three-away games has been impressive. It's been an impressive turnaround because I don't think anybody would have predicted 11 points from those three games. I certainly don't think anybody would have predicted 11 points from those three games after the Glasgow performance, which was a fairly dire showing, but one that, in the context of now having won four games out of five, looks more like an outlier than a continuation of the December and early January for him. So I think that's almost the biggest relief out of the past fortnight, I guess. And yes, some individuals, as you say, sort of sticking their hand up. You know, John Cooney was man of the match in South Africa. Comes back, he doesn't even get on the field. Uh, Nathan Doak is man of the match. So two different scrum halves, man of the match week to week. Um, Billy Burns, not exactly a young gun, but I thought he had a good game at 10, Marcus Ray coming back in was very very busy the entire pack really was good you know when you're seeing things like um, the front row pushing the opposition off their own ball come scrum time um, you know you're having a pretty good day up front and obviously the mall working well again too like Tom Stewart coming on uh, after just after Rob Herring sort of did, did all the hard work for the first hour and then Tom Stewart comes on and the mall starts ruling again and uh he gets another two tries. I think he's up to eleven is it this season though. So yeah, um look, Cardiff weren't great. Um well that's putting it mildly, they, were, they weren't good, but um
1: <laughs> They were bad. <laughs> yeah. They,
0: essentially they were just bad. Um but look, especially this time of year you can only beat what's in front of you. And it was uh I would say a thoroughly satisfactory day at the office for, uh, for Don McFarlane now.
1: They had eight young products of the province's academy. And this is sort of something that you've touched on and um, that maybe Ulster have been lacking in, in the last few years in terms of depth. Um one person I wanted to focus on, and he has possibly the coolest surname ever, and I'm not gonna pronounce it right, I just know it. But twenty year old center Jude Posselthweight.
0: Posselthwaite, yeah.
1: Yep, made his Ulster debut. What did you think of the performance, Johnny? Yeah,
0: I was impressed by how brave he was, how confident he was, um, coming in throwing the two uh, the two offloads almost back to back. The first times he got his hands on the ball, obviously there were mistakes as you would expect. You know, he knocked one out in the fool, and it probably takes an awful lot of reps defensively, especially in that position, um, to really get your bearings at this level. But it's encouraging, I think. Now this is going back, I would say, must be going back three years. The COVID year, whatever year, right, 2020. Yeah. So the, the COVID year that um, saw the Schools Cup impacted, I thought he was really, really impressive for Inst that year. And it was fairly surprising, I think, that he didn't get into the academy off the bat. He's spoken in the past about the sort of disappointment that he felt Um over that decision and his determination to work his way back in through sub academy now under development deal being a senior deal next year, um, but definitely I think he's one to watch and maybe even could be seen as the pick of the bunch if you like in terms of. Taking Tom Stewart away from it because Tom Stewart's that little bit older, or that little bit further out of school, I suppose. Um, there's a chance that he could be the best player I think of that age group down that's currently in the system. And I think it's interesting in general, just because you know we talk about um the sub academy and stuff, but you know Harry Sheridan didn't make the academy coming out of school. We've seen him play this year. Um, Ethan Mark played so much last year not as much this year but um, he was another player who didn't make the academy out of school so you can look at it two ways you can look at it saying why are these guys not making the academy Mm -hmm. straight out of school or you can say that um, akin to the career arcs of say Stuart McCluskey or Craig Gilroy it's not the end of your professional rugby aspirations if you don't make the academy as an 18 year old after the Schools Cup um, and seeing those guys come through that we talked about allied to the likes of Stuart Murray, James Shue, Maggie Laurie who we would have talked about a lot in past years. That's really what has been driving this Ulster squad, those guys coming through. Now obviously in terms of some of them they now need to kick on and get the form back that they maybe had last year and um, in years before that but you mentioned that this is the kind of thing that we haven't seen as much of like um, the Ulster Academy was fairly maligned for a good number of years so to have this many players really that have come through during Dan McFarlane's tenure to be good options at this level um, is encouraging as I say the next step is for them to be more than good options at this level and be good options at test level Um but there's definitely a few that I think will will do that.
1: And now that Ulster sort of have a firm grip of third place in the table, uh, Dan McFarland has, of course, said that they're actually looking up, not down. One, I found it an interesting stat that this is the first time they've won back-to-back league games since November. Um, and with the second-place finisher guaranteed a home semi-final should they reach the last four, McFarland has been talking well about the importance of playing on your own patch. Do you want to remind us, Johnny of the controversial refereeing decision that cost Ulster the home turf advantage for the semi-final last year
0: yeah Dan I uh, mentioned that on uh, on Saturday night but uh, if not for a refereeing decision obviously they would have been playing uh, playing at home in the semi-final that they ultimately lost in the, in the 85th minute obviously around this time last year when they went to South Africa towards the end of March and Callum Reid scored or thought he scored and um, depending on your interpretation, that would have won Ulster the game and obviously flipped come the end of the season, Ulster's position and the Stormers' position. So I think that is, you know, that's a big lesson of how important it is to get second place. Now, it's out of Ulster's hands in terms of the Stormers need to draw points. The Stormers are five ahead, but the Stormers do have Leinster up next and Munster at home in between the European games. So an awful lot is going to depend on what sort of sides we see people put out because at this time of year, obviously Leinster have very little to play for. Um, but even the Stormers, you know, um, all across hemisphere travel that they'll be doing around Europe. Munster, we know, are already going to be in South Africa for their Champions Cup game. So there's an awful lot of different permutations Around this, I think first and foremost also need to get 15 points, uh, minimum 14. You know, you need to win the three games and you need to get a couple of bonus points. You may even need to get three bonus points. And then you're looking at, can Leinster deny the Stormers any points whenever they go to Dublin? Can Munster even just stop the Stormers scoring four tries whenever they play them? And that's what's going to open the door for Ulster to get second. I mean, I know we had a listener question in from uh, James Bradley, my, uh, my namesake there, just about the chances of getting second. I still think the Stormers are in pole position. I think it's... I would expect Ulster to win all those games, but you obviously, any slip-up and you're done. But I just think it's going to come down to how motivated Leinster and Munster are in those two games. And when you look at where they are in the calendar in terms of players coming out of the Six Nations, players starting to prepare for Europe, my guess would be not very. And I think that's probably what we'll do for Ulster in the end.
1: Do you think as well, just looking at the listener questions because there's quite a lot sort of about that, Um Donald O'Reilly has asked, what are your takes on Dan McFarlane's selection process? Seems a bit bizarre to me. Non-selections of Madigan and Flannery for quite a long time. McElroy out of the starting squad. Izzy is back in Hinch. What are we missing? Yeah, I think
0: um, it's probably something that a lot of people are talking about at the minute, those uh, selections... Maybe less so off the back of two wins than they had been earlier in the season. Like we talked about this probably last March as well. Whenever you, um, you know Billy Burns plays so many minutes that it can be difficult to get other people game time. And then whenever they do get game time, they're understandably rusty and they don't play well. And then you don't get another chance. And it's sort of this vicious, uh, this vicious cycle, especially in the ten jersey. I think an awful lot of the issues probably came down to the fact that Dan McFarland views Burns as best 10. Dan McFarland has said in the past how much he rates Burns' game intelligence and he views him as one of the leaders. So he's, I think he's loath to take him out for must-win games and really the way that Ulster have been playing everything has felt like a must-win game for a long time because when you get into that uh, bad spiral of results, it's hard to get out of and confidence ebbs away with every every loss. So, you know, would we have seen more of Flannery and Madigan if the season was panning out differently? I think we probably would have and I think that is probably a lesson that was learnt last season. But, for one reason or another, Dan didn't feel confident. But the thing is as well, when when we've seen those guys play, they've played well. Like, Madigan was good against Lara Rochelle away. Flannery, I thought, didn't get talked about an awful lot, but Flannery was good against the Sharks. Um, so I think you have to find a way during the season of getting those guys more minutes for when you are going to need them throughout the season. You're not going to get through the season with the with one ten, but also to keep them happy. You know, there was talk earlier in the year about Flannery maybe considering heading back home to Munster. And it just goes back to something um, that's really been, I suppose, a problem position for Ulster for a while, this this back-up 10 jersey and um, finding an effective way to manage the minutes there. Um, In terms of the other guys that Donald mentioned, I can't actually remember who he said. I know he said about Izzy playing for Hinch Um, you know we saw Marcus Ray come back in I mentioned that um, at the top of the show there Um, I thought he played well and Mm -hmm. Macaroy yeah um, it is a case of I think whenever you're out I think you can be quite far out Uh, you know I've asked coaches at various points most recently Dan Soper about um Marcus Ray of, you know, what these guys have to do to get back in favour. And it's something we even talked to with Jordy Murphy there a few weeks ago. And, like, Jordy was sort of saying, you know, it's not like you think it is where if you're out of the team, everything's miserable. Like, you can't go and talk to the coaches. The coaches will tell you what you need to get better at, and then it's up to you to go and do it. Um. And I think also do have, not compared to Lancer, but certainly compared to a number of their URC rivals, even the teams that are around them in the table, they do have an awful lot of other options. So, you know, you look at Marcus Ray, and I'm not saying that I would agree with Marcus Ray having been out of the team for whatever it was, two and a half months, Um But at the same time, we were all talking about Harry Sheridan who essentially came into that back row form um, a few weeks after Marcus dropped out of the team around Christmas. We were all talking about how well Harry Sheridan was playing up until like last week when he was on the bench, you know. So it is difficult to get your spot back. Like for all the sort of murmurs and rumours about what players have done to lose their positions, I don't think Dan McFarlane's going to cut off his nose despite his face like you know he more than anyone was in a position where he needed them to start getting results he was going to pick his best team to do that and like I said in answer to one of the previous questions like if I were to look at those three team sheets that he put out the last three weeks yeah I would have been questioning it just the same way that other people were but at the end of the day two bonus point wins and a losing bonus point at a ground where no other side, no visiting side has won this season is a good return for those three games.
1: Mm-hmm. They obviously see stuff we don't see in training as well. Well, absolutely, you that's the other
0: year. thing. Yeah, you know, everyone's always talking about um, things that are going on in training and I can't, who, oh yeah, it was Jesse Mangallan whenever he came into one of his press conferences and he was talking about what was happening later in training in the week and he was like, you know, I don't know if you guys get to come and watch Twin and then everybody just laughed because it seems such a foreign notion that we yeah. would be allowed to go in and watch that. It's just not something that happens, so yeah.
1: We should get an all or nothing series yeah, into Ulster exactly. Rugby, yeah. Yeah. behind the scenes. Um, Big Jim has said, and it's something we, we sort of touched on at the start of the of the episode there too just talking about the new players are sort of coming through Big Jim says do new slash fringe players get enough pitch time to play themselves into contention some seem to get one or two chances and that is it whereas others who maybe had a per debut have had more time forced generally due to no one else's fit and then after a run they've showed their potential
0: yeah 100% I think that's um, exactly sort of the points that I was trying to make there like sometimes you do get your opportunity through your injury and if there isn't somebody pressing a claim Then you can stick around if you're not, even if you're not playing particularly well, because injuries for whatever reason seem to hit Ulster in certain positions. So, you know, Marty Moore and Tom O'Toole were out at the same time, and Jeff Tumanga Allen, who people were a little bit skeptical about earlier in the season, was playing because there was no other choice but to play him. He was Mm -hmm. injured himself. And now, He's everybody's favourite player and everybody wants him signed up for next year. And, you know, if there was another tight head coming through, like Scott Wilson's probably, you know, he's the tight head in the academy, but he's been injured himself. Like, if he hadn't been fit, maybe he would have got a run. You know, he was 24th man against La Rochelle in the home game, the home game in the Aviva, But, um, (laughs) like... He, you know, he could have been the perfect example of somebody that got a run because injuries hit in Mm -hmm. a certain position. Whereas the back three is the best example because Dave McCann can come in and play what to me looks like really well. And then maybe you don't see him for a few weeks. You know, we're just talking about how we didn't see Marcus Ray from the 23rd of December until last Saturday. But Vermeulen's going to play, Timony's going to play, um. Jordy's in that boat as well. Like he came back in, having started what two games all season, and one of them was because Sean Rafael got injured, um, just before the monster game, and then he came in and played well. Um, whenever he got the opportunity against Glasgow, um, two weeks back. So, I think what uh, Jim's saying there is bang on because it is it is a mixture of the two, and it goes back to this idea that. Dan will pick the team that he thinks is going to win the game. Like it would be shooting himself in the foot to do anything else. And, you know, they always say that sort of stat about at any one time, 25% of your squad could be out injured. So at the end of the day, the reality is that injuries are what opens a lot of doors. And then I suppose it's about at that point making yourself undroppable rather than playing well but it is a really difficult balance and part of why it's a difficult balance is there aren't as many easy games as there used to, like there used to be a number of what were quite simply gimme fixtures in the Pro 12 or um, Pro 14 but those aren't there anymore and we are in a position now where like every drop point counts, you know we're in a position we're talking about this like Essentially, Ulster are on course. Let's say they win their games even without bonus points, right? Um, That would put them seven points ahead of the pace from last season where everybody thought that they had a pretty good league season. So this year, when everybody thinks that they're not doing well, you would still expect them to get at least seven more points than they got last year. But they might not be any better off in terms of league position and that just shows you that you know the good teams the South African teams coming in and they import, the added importance of playoff seating which seems crazy given that we're talking about a league where no away team won a semi-final for ages but it feels like the uh, playing at home is now even more important. All these games and even by extension bonus points and Ulster have got more bonus points than any team in the league feels so important. And then it's like, when do you, like when do you rotate? When do you give these guys a chance? When do you not play your best team? And I was <laughs> I was talking to somebody who knew or uh, who knows Harry Sheridan well and saying about the La Rochelle game. Uh, you know, making your debut against La Rochelle instead of last. I was like, you know, that wouldn't have been the game I was giving him his debut in, but as needs must. But that's why in his words, Dan McFarland gets paid the big bucks. And I guess that is True, you know, you get a lot of head or a lot of rugby coaches that make great assistants but wouldn't necessarily make a great head coach. And one of the biggest things is making that final call and so yeah. action, putting your name to it and saying, This is the team that I'm sending out there. As I say, I don't always agree with them myself, but at the end of the day, there is a reason why he's a head coach, yeah. you know.
1: You're going to be liked by some and disliked by many for it. Yeah,
0: well, no, that's exactly it as well. You know, they talk about uh, coaches being liked or disliked and at the end of the day, the guys that are getting picked tend to be the ones that like the coach and the guys that are not getting picked tend to be the ones that um, don't like the coach. If everybody likes the coach, then...
1: There's something wrong.
0: Exactly, it would say something odd about the culture because you would have, what, 20-odd guys here happy that they're not getting selected.
1: Um, Well, to wrap up there, Ulster are five points ahead of fourth place Glasgow, with Munster two further back. With those two playing each other, as well as you said, Johnny, the Stormers trip to Leinster. When the league resumes, the top six will be going head-to-head in round 16, and Ulster will next welcome the Bulls to Belfast at the end of the month, looking to win three in a row for the first time since a run across October and November. But ahead of that, we have Ireland playing Scotland on Sunday. There's two more hurdles to clear for Andy Farrell's men to gain a fourth Grand Slam. It does look on for the world's number one side but they're going to have to win back-to-back away games now and apart from reigning champs France who sort of made mincemeat off um, it seems like Scotland are the ones to really beat this year. Johnny, what are your predictions?
0: It's going to be a really good weekend because Italy against Wales is all of a sudden a big game like that Saturday 2 o'clock or 2.15 slot. You to always be Italy were playing... And it was just kind of easy into the weekend because you knew what the result was going to be. But now, like, this is a live fixture. Like Italy, to my money, should be winning this game. Like Wales are ever so slight favourites with the bookies, but I think Italy should win this game. So that's a great start to the weekend. England France is fascinating um, on Saturday, and then depending on how results go, Ireland could be playing for a championship come uh, come Sunday afternoon. Now, obviously, as you say. They're after the Grand Slam. They're not after a championship. But um, Scotland have been, to my eyes anyway, the surprise package. I didn't particularly rate their chances even after they beat um, England. I thought it's probably said more about England than it did about them. But against France, I think we really saw something from them even though they got beat in that game. Like they, Their attack is really, really good um, now. They're doing an awful lot of quite interesting things it's not just uh, living and dying with Finn Russell's good moments and his bad moments and I think that they're building quite nicely um, odd timing for them to be building quite nicely given that there's so much talk about uh, the future of the head coach and it seems like he's maybe cracked the code after about six years and uh could still be out of a job after the World Cup, but um, I think this is a really big test for Scotland because I still think Ireland are the better side. I think Ireland are obviously further along in their development, even though, as I said there, Farrell's been in the job a shorter amount of time than Townsend's been. But Scotland have home advantage. Um, Edinburgh is a difficult place to go I know Ireland results don't always bear that out um, they've had a relatively good record against Scotland regardless of where the games have been played um, of late but I think it's going to be a really good challenge for Ireland to go away and win now I know they've won away in New Zealand they've won away in the Principality which traditionally um, over the last sort of 10 years or so it'd been a tougher place for them to go than Murrayfield is but I think this is a good yardstick um, For this Irish team, I really do.
1: In terms of Ulster players as well, uh, flanker Nick Timoney has been called up to the squad for the final two games of the Six Nations Championship. Uh, Hooker Rob Herring, second row Kieran Treble, and winger Jacob Stockdale, they've all returned as well after the win over Cardiff for Ulster. And Michael Saddler's written an article for us in the Belfast Telegraph this week about the fact that uh, Ian Henderson and Stuart McCluskey could both be battling to retain their individual green shirts for Sunday. And there is a debate and we don't have Adam this week as part of the Stuart McCluskey fan club <laughs> to, re- to really fight his corner. But um, yeah, there's a bit of a, a dilemma for Farrell maybe when it comes to choosing between um, McCluskey and Henshaw. I know Ringrose was, um, he missed the Italy match. I know he was sort of in the mix there too. But you assume they'll play him least fit and ready and then it'll be between McCluskey and Henshaw. But it would be harsh to play Henshaw over McCluskey.
0: Yeah, and I think, like, Ringrose could actually prove to be the uh, the key man in this because, you know, he didn't train in that uh, open training session that they had last week. So because it's a Sunday game, they're only assembling really um, today. Like, their first media won't be until tomorrow, Wednesday. Um, so Henshaw of the centres is the most adaptable. So Ringrose is the 13, but Henshaw is... To my mind, anyway, Ireland's second best 13. So if Henshaw's, sorry, if Ringrose doesn't play, then Henshaw, I think, comes in at 13 and McCluskey stays at 12. I think that Farrell will still, even though McCluskey's started the last six games and has played well, I still think in Farrell's head, his best team, is Ringrose at 13, Henshaw at 12 and obviously you get Aki in this mix as well. So it's a big call, um, just in terms of the lack of minutes, obviously, that Henshaw's had really going all the way back to uh, November. Um, but I think that we'll see a number of guys come back in. You know, the likes of Furlong is obviously... Um, quite pressing that he (laughs) he gets back for his first game of the Six Nations, given that um, Finlay Williams out of the Six Nations. And, you know, guys like Jameson Gibson Park as well, you know, whether they come back in. Um, So I think we could see quite a few changes whenever the team's named on uh, Friday. Obviously, from an Ulster perspective, the, I suppose, midfield debate is the big one. You would expect still Henderson to start. And then... O'Toole the bench behind uh uh Furlong and Furlong's back. But we'll probably get a lengthy a lengthy run, you would think. And then yeah, despite all those other guys you you mentioned and Timony coming back in, I think it would be a surprise if any of those guys were involved, really.
1: One thing I found interesting, Mega Holgate, he he has sent in the fact that so, of the major rugby nations, the longest winning streak is 18 matches, jointly held by New Zealand and England between 2015 and 2017, partly due to the two avoiding one another. If Ireland win the next two, and then if, if they get to the quarterfinal of the World Cup, if they lose the quarterfinal, which they've sort of, you know, they've always sort of fallen around that hurdle in the past, they will then be joint um, in that record with England and New Zealand for 18 games in a row. But if they win it, then they hold the new record. Um, and Don Lorelli has also, sort of on the back of that stat that Micah provided, said it's become normal to, inverted commas, want to break winning runs that you haven't a massive winning streak by the time the knockout rounds of the World Cup. Do you think this Irish team are past those old superstitions? Can we learn enough through continued wins? Not looking past Scotland, obviously," he
0: said. <laughs> "Not looking past Scotland, but not looking past, uh, well, sorry, Scotland again and South <laughs> Africa in the pools of the World Cup as well. Um, it's a good question. Um, a great return to form for the for the weekly Donal, um, <laughs> because you have heard it an awful lot about France. You know, whether France obviously losing their their own lengthy winning streak against Ireland and. Um, will benefit them in the long run that they don't have that pressure of this huge, huge winning streak. I personally just think winning is a good thing and winning breeds more winning. I don't know about the pressure of a lengthy winning streak. Um,
1: I think the pressure of like a random loss in the middle of the winning streak is probably worse than the yeah, actual yeah.
0: winning streak itself. Yeah. yeah, 100%. Like Especially whenever you get to the quarterfinals because the pressure at the quarter final for Ireland doesn't come with um, a winning streak. The pressure is we've never ever ever managed to win one of these so it's like
1: <laughs> that's the superstition yeah
0: exactly it's uh, you know you're going back to uh, 1987 and the first world cup so we're at the point now where um it's ridiculous really that um a rugby playing nation any rugby playing nation really can't win a quarter final because there aren't that many good teams historically over the last whatever that would be um Like 40 years? I should be able to work it out because I was born one year after the World Cup started. So 36 (laughs) years. Um, You know, the idea that a team that's been able to win multiple Grand Slams in that time, multiple Six Nations in that time hasn't um, managed to uh, get to the last four of a World Cup. Um, I think personally, and this will be denied to the hilt whenever we get there. um, I think personally that's a massive massive psychological pressure because it's not you know you're carrying your own team's winning streak it's not that you're carrying the pressure that's put on your team you're carrying the pressure of 36 years of every Irish rugby player in that time being unable to do this one thing and it's the last thing really you know um, they've won in South Africa they've they've beat New Zealand they've now beat New Zealand in Dublin they've won the Grand Slam 2009, they broke that sort of long streak. They've won the, uh, if you like, even year Grand Slam, which involves them having to win in Paris and London in 2018. They've won now two series um, down under, which prior to that first one in Australia in 2018, they hadn't done since 1979. So, you know, all these sort of, if you like hoodoos, superstitions, glass ceilings, monkeys on the back, whatever you want to call them, they've all been shifted away, apart from, apart from this quarter final. So, personally, I think that's that's the pressure. It's not the winning streak; that's the pressure. But I do find it interesting that there is this narrative developing that like it's dangerous to win games or something because a winning streak um, ramps up the pressure each time you play. I don't really think. Um, I don't really think that's the case I understand that notion that you sort of learn more from losses than wins but at the end of the day I don't think you're ever going to go into a game being like well you know it's gonna be okay if we lose this because we'll learn something from it and we won't have the pressure of being really good like I, it's just it confuses me more than anything else
1: it's a fantastic position to be in but it just shows take it for granted but and then they've also got as as Michael Holgate from Auerfeld sent in they've got this um this record to break as well, maybe on the back of it too, which will be interesting. So, we'll be all heebie-jeebies. <laughs> hopefully, we get there the, in the preview episode before the the World Cup quarterfinal. Um, but moving on to the Schools Cup, which we've been covering extensively, uh, between between yourself and Adam, uh, Johnny. So. Inst RBAI have booked a St Patrick's Day date back at Ravenhill against Cross City rivals Campbell College after they battled back to beat Wallace in the semi-final. Meanwhile, Campbell dug deep to produce a resounding 31-10 win over holders Methody. Uh, So Methody have the most school cup titles historically, so for some neutral fans, it's nice to get them out of the way, would you say, (laughs) Johnny?
0: Uh, yeah it could be it could be I would say there's uh, anyone that's not from Belfast is just looking at it as another uh, all Belfast final True um, But yeah I, like I enjoyed the semi-finals I thought they were um both decent games in their own way um very different games it must be said um but I think it's poised to be a good final you know Campbell's sort of coming in with the uh not revenge, revenge is the wrong word, but uh, the motivation of having lost last year's final. And then this is a real sort of um, first for this inst group, if you like. It's been a while since they've um, got to a final. They obviously were so successful under um, Dan Super, and, you know, that team that we've talked lots about of Mike Lorry, James Hume, um, Callum Reid, David McCann. Um, the, th- the three in a row side but this is a sort of first I suppose for Inst since that I was talking to uh, Jimmy Kirk the head of rugby at the school yesterday and just he was talking about this um, I suppose idea of uh, sort of reset during COVID and this sort of being the first um, signs of that they're obviously playing the um, the medallion final as well and um, today um, Tuesday so by the time people are listening to this um, they'll know the result of that but um, apparently that team is uh, really one to watch as well so it could be another little patch of uh, trophies for for instance in the coming years as well but um, it'll be a good final I think um, interesting to see how I suppose one thing is going to be the battle of the forwards um, because there's two sort of physical packs, two big packs and two packs with a couple of at that level star names, you know, representative representative players. Inst in going 14-0 down to uh, to to Wallace in there and semi-final really relied on their mall to get them back into it. The mall looked to be a huge weapon for them so I think that's going to be an interesting head-to-head at the set piece as well. So yeah um, obviously if Ireland England is for a Grand Slam the next day it might not be the biggest um, rugby (laughs) game of that particular weekend but uh, certainly the biggest one for all those that will be involved in it and uh, yeah looking forward to it as well
1: we'll also have a live blog of that as well on www.batfastagraph.co.uk but you're sort of dodging around there Johnny because you've watched you've watched them both throughout the Schools Cup who do you think is going to take the title um
0: I think, on the basis of what I've seen of the teams this year, and that doesn't always have much of a bearing on the final, but of what I've seen of them, um, I've probably been just a bit more impressed with Campbell. But I mean, that comes with the caveats that they were playing Methody in the final, you know, or sem- sorry, semi final. Everybody that you talk to is like, you're sort of scratching your head trying to remember the last time Methody were beaten by a scoreline that um, comprehensive. Now, Methody were actually. Leading the game. Um, but the second half from Campbell was really, really impressive. So I think they probably have the edge, you know. Inst, um, their semi final probably a little bit less convincing. Um, Wallace were seen as big underdogs going into that game, but as I said, they took the lead. You have to credit Inst for coming back, obviously, but um, I think that probably makes. Campbell favourites for uh, for St Patrick's Day
1: and are there any bright young sparks particularly from either team taking your fancy that you think are ones to watch
0: it's really interesting because talking to a few different people who get to see a lot more Schools Cup rugby than I do um, a lot of people are quite high on this year group and think there could be you know and the way it was put to me would have been multiple um, professional players coming out of this um Year group, I think anyone that's paid uh, attention to schools rugby um this season would obviously know Lucas Kenny, the Campbell uh fullback. I mean he looks to be a really, really good player. Um Flynn Longstaff, there, uh, the Campbell captain, uh is highly rated as well, tight head. Um at and over at Insta obviously um I was going to say familiar names, familiar surnames. Um, shall we say so? Bryn Ward, who is Andy Ward's son, um, playing number eight for them. Uh, he looks a really good player. Had a good game in the uh, in the semi final, and then Jacob Boyd, who is Insta's Inst captain and tight head as well. So I don't know when the last time two tight heads were the captains of a uh, school's cup, but um, Jacob Boyd, who is. Clem Boyd's son who used to play for Ulster as well um, is another one. He's already, you know, been on that representative radar and looks a really good player as well. So um, it'll be interesting, I think, for people to uh, to watch come St. Patrick's Day and see an awful lot of these guys that are highly titled because as much as we said earlier, but, you know, um, the sub academy route and stuff, it's going to be really interesting to see how many of these guys make the academy next year Mm -hmm. because it's going to be competitive and it's obviously not just these two teams um, that those players are going to be picked from but those two teams have an awful lot of players comparatively speaking that you would have heard about as being on the radar
1: I can already see just the live blog whenever you were saying about the two tight heads being captains two tight head captains go toe to toe toe (laughs) for the live blog on the day (laughs) but to finish off uh, I've got to go with one more listener question and I think this is Probably my favourite one and one we've forgotten about, Johnny, in, in the past couple of weeks. Um, Stephen McCormick has asked, will we ever find out the results of the review into the frozen pitch fiasco? <laughs> he said, the outcome of playing the key game at Aviva without home support was very serious for the team, supporters and club finances. There should be transparent accountability and assurance any recommendations implemented to reduce future risk.
0: Was it just today's for us? Sort of brought that back in? Back into the <laughs> mind. Just think you know. Well, I was going to say there isn't a game on the pitch for a while, but obviously, um, there are those schools games. Um,
1: Do we know any more? Have there been, you know, haven't exactly been publicising it themselves? They're just sort of.
0: Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, we spoke about it a wee bit with the um, plastic pitch conversation that we had last week, and um, just pointing out that it's not really connected to this um, frozen pitch uh, fiasco as might appear on the surface. Um, But, you know, Stephen's talking about transparency there. In the interest of being transparent, I have requested the interview multiple times. Um, The most recent time, I was told that Johnny Petrie was on holiday. So uh, we will keep asking the question.
1: (laughs) You'll be be the first to know any listeners um, the minute we find out. But it is... Like that was sort of like a double pun there by the way you're like on the surface (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah apart from that so Scotland play Ireland this Sunday obviously we've got all the rest of the Six Nations action before that too and Ulster will have a two week break but remember you can keep up with all the news, views and analysis from both Johnny and Adam and all our sports reporters on BelfastTelegraph.co.uk and in the paper and hopefully Adam's listening getting the hot water and lemon in them and he'll be back next week as well thanks for listening bye